Welcome to this message from Alpha and Omega Ministries International. We value the Word of God as an instrument of growth in our lives, using it to mend our ways, align our thinking, and ultimately bring restoration. We trust that you will be blessed and encouraged by what we have to share. Tonight, I want to share with you a message I preached in our church a few weeks ago. Um, and just to bring it into the context of what I know the Lord has been sharing on this platform and within this, this um, sphere of the ministry, we've been talking about spiritual development, spiritual growth, the importance of spiritual development and growth. And for me, if this is an agenda that is on our hearts or on my heart, I want to know what I can do to cooperate with that. All of us want to grow spiritually. Every believer will say, I want to grow. But how that works and the way we can cooperate with the process makes all the difference. There's one character trait for me that separates those who say they want to be disciples from those who are disciples of Jesus Christ. And that one attribute in my mind is the spirit of meekness. Meekness. Now, what does meekness mean? Meekness. I think many people, they think of gentle Jesus, the little lamb who was very meek. And they paint this picture of meekness as, and they yoke it with weakness. But meekness is not, has not got anything to do with weakness. Meekness has to do with having a desire, a deep desire to learn, to apply what is learned, and to be corrected. Meekness is, is, is an attribute that is exercised within the context of relationships. It is in my journey with the Lord, with the Holy Spirit, with the Word of God, my meekness is demonstrated in my desire to learn, to know Jesus, to follow and to flow in the Word, uh, in, the, in the Holy Spirit, to get to know the Word of God, to apply it and to be corrected in it. But also in my journey with other individuals, my spiritual oversight, my spiritual mother and father, it is a desire to learn from them. It is a desire to apply what I have learned. And you know what? If you're anything like me, when you begin to apply something in your life for the first time, seldom do you master it in the first or second or third attempt. As you begin to walk in things, even matters of faith, even matters concerning spiritual development, you make mistakes along the way. You think you understand, but you only realize how little you understand once you actually start walking in it. Um, it was, it was to me like, like when I, when I got married, I really thought that, um, my father, who was a very selfless man and served my mother, I thought I was the same. I really did. And I thought naturally this would come to me. I would love serving my wife. <laughs> ah, that was funny. It, it's funny that I thought that because it didn't come naturally to me as I expected. And so I had to be corrected along the way and I had to learn and I had to grow. So meekness, as I've said, is this desire to learn, to apply what has been learned, and to be corrected. It is the willingness to adopt and to adapt to someone else's way of thinking or another way of thinking. It contains within it a willingness to submit oneself, your thought processes, your method of reasoning, the conclusions you come to, perhaps even your behavior. To somebody else to bring it into submission 
And it means basically to be teachable, just simply willing to learn, willing to change. And this is an essential ingredient to spiritual growth and development. Now, most of you, just about all of you know my story and know my testimony, that I was a believer for many, many years before I came to Alpha and Omega Christian Fellowship. But my testimony is that I was a double life believer. I had my church life. I had my social life. I had my family life. And never the twain shall meet. Uh, and what what happened is I, I I came into contact with this force of nature called Andreas Kiriakou, who took me by the ear, literally in some in some cases, and began to disciple me concerning what the life of a believer should look like. This whole idea of a double life it was just not acceptable. You either are a believer or you're not. You're not just a believer on Sunday. You're a believer at home. You obey God in all areas, in all facets, and you guard and you watch and you manage your testimony. These kinds of things are, are, are things that I needed to learn, quite frankly, the hard way because I was pretty good at compartmentalizing them. Let me give you an example. When I when I was oh let me let me not give you an example. Let's let's not let's not glorify the old life. Let's move on. The point is this: somebody came into my life and was willing to love me as I am, but love me enough to not leave me as I am. I owe so much of my spiritual development to that relationship. It was a God-ordained and a God-established relationship. And God worked mightily through that relationship because he established it for that specific purpose. So ultimately, God had his way in my life. What made it a success along the way is that also by God's grace, God gave to me a spirit of meekness within that relationship. And I want to talk to you. I'll talk to you a little bit later about how that wasn't always easy. Meekness is not easy. You know, people think of the fruit of the spirit and they love to quote them. Gentleness. Gentleness for some people is not easy. Self-control for some people is not easy. Patience. How many of you are, find it easy to be patient with those who are difficult? Many of these spiritual fruit or these, these spiritual habits or disciplines are not necessarily easy. And likewise, meekness is not. But the thing that fuels it is the desire to draw near to God, the desire to grow, and the realization that I don't know it all. I don't have it all. And I need. I need to be willing to embrace change and to grow and to change the way I'm thinking. So let's jump into a couple of scriptures here. 1 Corinthians 11 verse 1 from the Passion Translation, Paul writes to the church and he says this, I want you to pattern your lives after me, just as I pattern mine after Christ. Now, Paul is saying two things in this portion of scripture. He's first saying, I want you to adopt the mindset that I have got of patterning my life after Christ. So that's what he's saying. He's pointing everyone to Christ. But he's saying, and then the other thing he's saying is this. Practically, what I want you to then do is copy me. Do what I do. Live like I live. Watch what I do and copy me. And you will have the same results that I'm having. So that's Paul saying, I want you to copy, pattern your lives after me. Just as I pattern my life after Christ. Jesus said it this way, Luke 6, 14. A disciple is not above his teacher, 
but everyone who is perfectly trained will be like his teacher. Isn't that very interesting? You, it doesn't mean uniformity. It's not, we're not all going to be the same, but you will become like the one who disciples you. And that is the point. That is the power of discipleship. That is the power of these kinds of relationships through which God can reproduce spiritual gifts, spiritual fruit, spiritual callings. Now, this implies the internalization and the embodiment of the life, of the character, of the nation, uh, of the, the nature and the vision of others. What this means is you begin to catch the essence from which they are living. You get it. You get it. And, and you begin to walk in it and you begin to embody that yourself. Now, obviously, this kind of relationship and to, to, to be willing to look at somebody else's life and to begin patterning your life after them requires a huge measure of trust and a huge measure of discernment. And folks, I want to say to you, especially in the day and age we're living in, but quite frankly, if I read the Bible, it's always been there. We have reason to be skeptical. We have good reason to be skeptical because there are many people who will take that spirit of meekness and lead it astray. There are many people who will use and abuse even the flock and the body. But the Bible calls them wolves that come in. Uh, he calls them hirelings in other places. Jesus and Paul writes different letters to. And he's always warning about false teachers who want to lead you away and lead you astray. Uh, 1 John 2, 26 says, I'm writing these things to warn you about those who lead you astray. You read the book of Galatians. It's full of Paul warning the church of others that are coming in and they're bringing things that sound religious. They sound uh, uh, very good and noble, but in fact, he's leading them astray. So I want to I need to cushion what I'm sharing with you today within the context of of, of godly defined relationships, spiritual mothers and fathers, because outside of that context, what I'm sharing with you can be a dangerous thing. You pattern your life after the wrong person. You've, you've well, welcome to the cult. That's how cults begin, isn't it? And so I need to mention that because as I share these things, it could sound like, oh, you know, we, we don't have any thoughts anymore. We don't think for ourselves anymore. We just copy and follow what everybody else tells us to do. We can't make any of our own decisions. That's not what I'm saying. And, but I want to break down the principle today so that you can understand the heart behind it. I want to share with you the things that God shared with me that gave me both the grace that I needed to, to adopt a meek spirit and to follow through on that. So the point that I'm making is study the lives of those people you want to seek and you want to learn from that God is that God is connecting you to. Because the principle is that you will they will replicate who they are and, and they will replicate that within you. Those who you follow will be replicated in you. Uh, and so, quite frankly, if you don't like what you see, steer clear. And this is why this is why we need to understand who God has connected us to. In the book of 1 Corinthians, let me just read this to you quickly. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Jesus says something very, or Paul writes and he says something very profound. He says in verse 18, God has set the members, each one of them, in the body just as he pleased. That verse for me has been really a revelatory verse in my relationship because what I understand that verse to be saying is God has connected us with relationships just as he pleased. 
He's connected us with people who carry what it is that we need in order to fulfill our spiritual destiny and our calling. They carry within them gifts that we need to shape our character, the gifts that, that are needed to, to, to advance us in our relationship with the Lord. And likewise, we carry things which will bless their lives. And so this becomes a mutually beneficial relationship. Now, that said, I want you to understand that while you need to look to those that God is, is calling you to, and we need to be serious about these kinds of relationships, be weary not to expect perfection. The point is to understand the heart. Now, that doesn't mean you tol we tolerate sin. That doesn't mean that uh, when there's things that are blatantly wrong in somebody's life, that we just turn a blind eye to those things. But um, I, I was ministered to so powerfully by James 5.17. It says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. What does it mean he had a nature like ours? It means he was difficult. Elijah was a difficult man. He had a nature like ours. He was he was difficult man to serve and to walk with. And yet Elisha served him faithfully. Elijah's humanity, and that's what that verse is saying, his weaknesses, his flaws, his foibles were not a hindrance to Elisha. Why? Despite them, Elisha got it. In fact, he got it so well that he doubled Elijah's effectiveness. That is how well Elisha's spirit of meekness was able to uh, embody and encapsulate the call that was on Elijah's life, the gifting that was in Elijah's life. And you can truly say he got it. And Jesus says the same things to us in, in John 14, 12. I'm reading from the Passion Translation. He says, I tell you this timeless truth. The person who follows me in faith, believing in me, will do the same mighty miracles that I do and even greater miracles than these. Because I go to my father. Here's the way the message says it. The person who trusts me will not only do what I'm doing, but even greater things. Because I, on my way to the father, am giving you the same work that, that I've been doing. In other words, Jesus is saying, those who get it will become it. This is the essence of spiritual growth and development. This is what we want. This is what we desire. Amen. To become like Jesus, to begin to get it, not just here, but really get it in our hearts. And so that our lives become the very demonstration and the overflow. Elisha got it from Elijah. He did twice as many miracles as Elijah did. Jesus says, when you get it, and when, he, when I say get it, I don't just mean the Holy Spirit. I mean, you get it. You catch the heart of God and you begin to flow in it. You begin to conform to the likeness of Jesus Christ. He says, you're going to do the same things and even greater works than these. Why? Because I'm going to the Father. I'm unlocking all of this for you and you will have the grace to walk in it. So the point is of this of, of these kinds of relationships that I'm talking to you about is sincere love and care, which has felt both ways. This is the purpose. The purpose is spiritual development. It is your welfare. It is somebody that God connects you to and brings you into communication with that actually cares about you, cares about your spiritual growth and your development. Paul writes uh, and he says, though you may have 10,000 instructors, you have not many fathers. The body of Christ today is filled with people who don't mind telling you what to do. And they're good at it. They give us 
and, and, and I don't mean that in a bad way. They are teachers. They teach the word. They teach the principles of God. They teach how things work. But in our digital age, I don't even have to know them. I can just go on here. I can get good teaching. So, But none of those people know me. None of those people are there to speak into my life. None of those people are there to watch how I apply what they are teaching and to bring correction into my life. And the truth is, for many people, that's just the way we like it. Far away, disconnected, nobody watching. But I want to say to you, you do not grow that way. Thank you, Hayden. That's a far nicer view. Lovely. The point is that God will bring us into relationships with people. And here's the here's the incredible thing. I am responsible before God for my spirit of meekness towards the ones he sends me. But as a pastor, I am also responsible to God for the people to whom I sent to me. For the people he sends to me. Let me read you this scripture. It's such a sobering scripture from the book of Hebrews, chapter 13, uh, verse 17. The first part of the verse uh, from the message says this. Be responsive to your pastoral leaders. Listen to their counsel. What does he mean by listen here? It doesn't just mean hear what they have to say and go, oh, that's very interesting. Thank you, pastor. There's an idea locked into this to say, hey, follow through on what they are saying to you. Why? Because they are alert to the condition of your lives and they work under the strict supervision of God. Now, that to me is fearful. I will have to give an account to God one day for every piece of counsel I have given, whether it be his word or my own opinion. But the, 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 the beautiful thing about this is that both are are are. Both graces come from God, they are empowered by God, and they work together towards one another for the mutual blessing. This is what the prophet Malachi prof uh, prophesied in the, at the end of Malachi, Malachi chapter 4, uh, verse 5 and 6. He says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming in the great, of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the children to the fathers lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. You know, folks, if you look at any community where fatherlessness is rife, you will see what curses look like. There's poverty. There's oppression. There is very little hope. There's violence. There's abuse. All of these things are the curses and the evidences of fatherlessness. But because where a father is, a spiritual father or a natural father, there is discipline. It should be discipline, order, love, sincere care that are all wrapped up together. And this is the picture that God paints for us when he puts us into spiritual families. So what we're talking about here is we're talking about someone that you can trust to give you godly counsel for your benefit and not just their own benefit. They're not going to use you because they have your best interests at heart. And not only that, but you can actually see the word that they're teaching you in their lives. James 1, 21 to 22 says, Therefore lay aside all, filth, all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your soul. But be doers of the word and not hearers, only deceiving yourselves. You see, folks, I want to say this to you. 
one of the greatest honors that you can give to somebody is to heed their advice. Think about that. Very often we consider honor to be lip service. Lip service, you know, oh, you did such a good job. You're such a wonderful pastor. And I've heard many people uh, through the years, I've journeyed with Pastor Andreas 22 years now. I've seen many people come and go. Many people who say, oh, you're my spiritual dad or pastor. And they, they articulate many things with them. But you know what? The greatest honor and, and that you can give to somebody is to follow their advice. Why? Because you are placing value on their counsel. You are saying, I value your counsel. So as you give it to me, I have every intention of applying it. I'm asking your counsel, not just so that I can fill my head with another option, but your I'm asking for your counsel because your counsel carries weight in my heart. Now, you may think, that the greatest dishonor or one of the greatest dishonors you can give to someone, therefore, is to disregard their advice. But that's actually not true. You see, it's OK to disagree with somebody. It's OK to weigh up their views and to formulate your own opinions. But as long as you do that in openness and sincerity, it's not an insult. Oh, Pastor, I'm not sure about that. I'm struggling with that. Let me think about that. Can we talk? But this is what. It's okay to grapple in honesty and sincerity. We do it with the Lord, never mind with humans, never mind with people. We do it with God. And that's okay when it's done in sincerity. But to me, one of the greatest dishonors you can give to somebody is to pretend to heed their advice, whereas you actually disregard it and you ignore them. That is that is dishonorable thing. Rather, don't ask for it. You see, as I said, I've seen many people over the years call Pastor Andreas pastor or even spiritual father but they are articulating with their mouths a sentiment that they undermine through their decisions and through their actions they they want another opinion very often what they want is a blessing for things that they've already decided now i want to say to you folks i need to i need to clarify a few things here this does not mean that we do not hear from god ourselves this does not mean that that we should pass, you know, that 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 our entire lives become subject to the opinions or the advice of another person. So I want you to understand the, the heart of what I'm trying to share with you. And perhaps I'll get on to get on to that a little bit. I'll break it down a little bit more. Because we don't have to simply mean now, oh, we just hand over our, the reins of our lives to somebody else. We don't get to make any decisions for ourselves. And I understand how with what I'm sharing, it can look that way, it can feel that way, but I need to explain to you where this is coming from because. This is how God ministered it to me all those years ago. When God said to me, I want you to be Elisha to this man back in, I don't know what it was, 2004, maybe 2005. I understood that God wanted me to serve Pastor Andreas, and that's all I understood at the time. But as that grew, I began to, began to understand that God wanted me to follow and heed the counsel and the advice of this man. In other words, I want you to serve him, Michael, and that means I want you to do what he says. Now, please understand, this is what God said to me. So I'm not putting this on you. I want to explain to you what God did with me and my heart and not put this on you. But within it, I will, I will, I will unpack the principle. When God gave me that instruction, that instruction set in place in my heart and mind the context for that relationship and what God expected of me within that the context of that relationship. He expected me to obey 
passed to Andreas as unto the Lord. Now, again, if there was any instruction given that was sinful or it, it, it doesn't fall within the ambit of those things, that goes without saying almost. But the point that I'm making is this, that God is and he always remained my source, but he placed me in that relationship on purpose. And that is what I caught. I had the realization that, God, if you are connecting me with this man and you want me to serve him and you want me to listen to him, you know what you are doing. Even if he doesn't, even if I don't, you do. And in recognizing that, I could take a step of faith with all my trust placed in God and the instruction that he gave me, knowing that he would cover me and protect me in all of these things. I, God would God would lead me into to, to, to the under, led me to the understanding that in following Andreas and obeying the counsel that he gave me, if he made a mistake but I obeyed it in the sincerity, I would be protected and covered, and the consequences would be upon his head. But if I did not, if I willfully went my own way, the consequences would be on my head. I needed to submit to that relationship in obedience to him. And my obedience to God would therefore was in many ways worked out through my obedience to my spiritual oversight. Now, this was hugely significant in my life. Why? Because without this mindset, I would have rejected that which I didn't agree with or understand. And this is why I'm saying to you, the spirit of meekness that opens itself up to be counseled, to be changed, to be corrected, to be shaped is not easy. And I want to say to you, especially in the early years, I really struggled. I struggled for a couple of reasons, because I want to say to you, the pastor Andreas that you guys know is not the same man that I got to know all those years ago. Uh, Nikki's laughing because she knows what I'm saying is the truth. There was a time many years ago when pastor Andreas was rough. He was strict. He took no nonsense. Uh, many years, a few years ago, probably, you know, in the mid, uh, I think it was about 2012, 2013, 15, one of the, one of, one of the guys who grew up under his tutelage said, Pastor Andreas, something has changed in your ministry. You've laid down your rod and you've picked up your towel. In other words, your style of leadership has changed. You're not so hard and autocratic. Uh, you, you, you lead now through serving. I want to tell you something without that rod, I wouldn't be who I am. I needed it. And I'm so grateful for it. Uh, and, uh, and he took no nonsense. There was counsel that he gave me right in the beginning that I want to say to you, I really struggled to follow. I didn't agree with it. I didn't understand it. And so I would go to God and here would be my wrestle. God, this doesn't sound right. Your word says this. Your word says that. I don't understand this. It wasn't to be sinful. So it wasn't within that ambit, but it's not something that sat right with me. I didn't agree with it. I'll be honest with you. I didn't agree. I didn't understand why he was saying that. But all God kept saying to me is, what did I tell you to do? See, you want to now try and make sense of all these instructions, Michael, and you want me to explain. I've given you my word. I want you to obey my word. What is your word? Serve that man. Obey him. Do what he says. Simple. And that took, that took, that was hard sometimes because when you don't agree with the counsel somebody gives, how do you walk in it? You know, we have a very independent way of thinking and a very independent mindset today. It says, well, if I don't agree, I won't follow. If I don't agree with you or if I don't understand, what, why should I obey? Why should I do that? Well, that's fine. You don't have to. 
But I understood that God wanted to do something in that relationship. And the point is this. I couldn't understand what he was telling me because I didn't have the spiritual maturity to see. I couldn't understand it. I couldn't wrap my heart around it. It seemed contradictory. Now, in hindsight, I look back and I am so grateful that I did listen, that I did obey because I see the wisdom in it now. I also see what God did through the process of obeying him, even when I didn't understand and I didn't, it didn't feel right. And what happened in my heart and the growth that I underwent through all of that. And I'm grateful for it now. But I want to say to you that it wasn't easy at the time. But here's the principle that comes out of it. And this is what I want to convey to you. The principle is that the lens through which you perceive God, the word of God, the world around you, the people around you will determine how you respond to it. Your perspective. Your lens, your perspective is shaped and it's colored by the way you think, by your experiences, by your personality. I mean, if you think of, of colored cellophane, if I were to take a quality street pink wrapper and hold it over the screen here, I would look red. No matter what color I held up, you, you would see red. Why? Because of the, the, the filter, the perspective, you see everything with rose tinted lenses in that, in, that, in that case. So the way you see things, the way you reason through things, even the way you reason through the word of God, the instructions of God is all tainted or is all determined by your lens, by your experiences, by your past. And it functions as a filter, which means it allows some things in and it keeps other things out. Now, I've often seen people come for counsel, not just with me, but with Pastor Andreas, and, and they respond to godly advice with these words. Thank you, Pastor. I'll pray about it. <laughs> and you say, but Michael, that's the right thing to do. That's a fitting response. And I will say, yes, it is a fitting response. We do need to pray about these things. We do need to hear what the Lord has to say about them. And I'm not talking about decisions that just need to be made because you know you, you just follow what's given and you don't consider it and you don't pray about it because nobody's perfect. But here's what sometimes happens. Instead of praying over the counsel that is given and seeking God's wisdom in that counsel, what we do is we talk about praying about the legitimacy of the counsel. The issue is that instead of allowing the lens to be adjusted by God through that counsel in the place of prayer, they simply filter that word through their lens. And what, what, it, what happens is their lens is unable to, to hold or to contain the wisdom that is being given to them. And so it becomes disregarded. And it's tragic. It really is very sad. I have seen... Yeah, you know, I know I heard of a case just this just this last week. I remember years back, a couple came to Andreas and he's, you know, a young lady and she met this man and he warned her. He said, there's two, you know, where's this? There, there were all kinds of things that went on, but his counsel was not heeded. That couple's getting divorced now. Now, it's not about saying, oh, he was right and she was wrong and why, why told you so. The point is that spiritual oversight was there and there were warning signs and they could see them. But because of the unwillingness of somebody to stop and say, hang on a second, I value what you are saying. Something, you know, they went ahead and made a foolish decision. Matthew six verse Matthew seven verse six says this. Do not give what is holy to the dogs or cast your pearls to swine. 
lest they trample them under their feet and turn you turn and tear you to pieces. That is a hard scripture. But what Jesus is saying here is where there is no weakness, don't try to teach. Don't try and, and coach. Don't try to mentor. Don't try to. Why? Because it'll be like throwing your wisdom to swine. They'll trample underfoot and ultimately they will turn around and they will use it against you. Those who carry a spirit of meekness understand this and they're willing to have somebody come in and correct their lens. Not just the instruction, but come in and change the way you see it to give you a completely different perspective, a different way of thinking, a different pursuit. You know, I think of just I want to give you another example from my own life. A few years, a couple of years ago, I think it was the end of 2019. I really had believed that I'd heard from the Lord what I what I wanted and needed to do within this within the Alpha and Omega Christian Fellowship moving forward. And I'm, when I say I think I heard from the Lord, I, I believe that I did. And I believe I did. God did speak to me. And then one day, Pastor Andreas comes to me and he says, Michael, I just sense the Lord saying that you need to focus on the flock. You need to do this and that. And uh, that this is what I feel you need to do in this time and season. And it was the exact opposite of the impression that I had in my heart. Now, he didn't say you must do this. He said, this is what I feel, but it's your decision and I will back you either way. So there was no contrived manipulation in all of this. But the problem that I had was this. That message came to me through the mouth of Andreas, who had many times prophetically warned me, guarded me, protected me, corrected me along the way. And here's the wrestle that I had. God, I thought I heard from you, but now my spiritual father is saying to me something contrary. I can't just dump what I believe I've heard from you, but I also can't just dump what I've heard from him. And I think when we hold those two in balance, we hold them in a power. We, 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 we are in a, in a powerful position before God to have our hearts be sifted and have our lenses changed and adapted. So what did I do? I went to fasting and prayer because I was confused. And I prayed and I prayed and it fasted for three days. It was during my Christmas holidays. I wife wasn't very happy with me because we were supposed to be spending time together. And now you're going through to the church so you can be alone day after day on the and on the, only on the third day something happened. On the third day something happened as I waited before God, I broke down. That's all I can say to you. I can't understand what happened. I had a complete emotional breakdown. I sobbed and I wept on the floor because something inside me had given way and I didn't know what it was. I didn't understand what was going on. All I knew is that something in me was breaking. And I got I was I was I was prompted by I know it was by the Lord to read the book of Esther. Why Esther? I don't know. So I got into the book of Esther and I'm reading the book of Esther. And as I'm reading, I come across this scripture in Esther chapter 2, verse 20. It says, now Esther, Esther's now the queen. I had just been made the leader of, uh, you know, taken over leadership of the church. She had all the authority now. She was head honcho, but it says this in verse 20. Now Esther had not revealed her family and her people just as Mordecai had charged her. For Esther obeyed the command of Mordecai as when she was brought up by him. And that scripture blew me, blew my hair back. God was saying, Michael, you're now the pastor. You get to make your decisions. But right now, I want you to obey Mordecai, your Mordecai, your spiritual father, as you did when you were growing up under him. 
And that was the instruction I needed at that moment. I knew in that moment that what I had to do, I had to lay down my desires, my plans, and adopt a spirit of meekness. And the truth is, without that time of fasting and prayer, without that breaking, I would not have been able to receive it. Why? Because clearly pride had crept into my heart. Clearly, I was set on doing what I wanted to do. Clearly, I was justifying God said. And I couldn't hear what God was actually saying. My saving grace in that moment was to not just run ahead. But when Pastor Andreas, the spiritual oversight in my life spoke, it was to take that to the Lord in prayer until I could make sense, until there was some kind of clear instruction from God, which put everything into perspective and I could then go on again beyond my own justification and embrace again a spirit of meekness. Folks, this is costly. But here's the here's the wonderful testimony. Just a few months later, everything shuts down because of COVID. I didn't know that was coming. You didn't know that was coming. God knew that was coming. And every single one of the plans that I had that were going to do such wonderful things would have fallen flat, would have wasted time, money, resources, caused much frustration and disappointment. And I look back on it and I go, God, thank you. Thank you, Father God. So grateful. Let me give you some more examples here. And I'm going to be very brief on this. I'm going to go to scripture now. Because the same thing that happened with me, I'm going to show you how this happens again. First example I want to look at is the example of David in Scripture. Second uh, Samuel 11 tells us the story of David with Bathsheba. So David, we, we understand that all the people went out to war. David should have been out on the front lines with his with his armies, but he was back at the castle. One night he can't sleep. He goes onto the roof. He looks over and he sees a beautiful woman bathing. He lusts after he wants her being king. He abuses his power to bring her to himself, and he takes advantage of her. David justified, first of all, his decision to stay home from battle. He shouldn't have been there. He should have been with his people. He saw Bathsheba. He did what he wanted to her. He then came up with another plan to take care of her husband, to, and he justified that. He justified poor military and strategic decisions in order to, to see this little plan of his out. And he justified his plan and his behavior to cover up his own sin for an entire year. There wasn't even conviction. He covered it all up. He thought it was all dealt with. And chapter that chapter ends, the last verse of this says, but the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. Now, chapter 12 opens with these words. Then the Lord sent Nathan to David. And Nathan, Nathan tells him a story. It brings about a realization within David. In verse 13, David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. See, David's justification for what he had done, for his way of thinking, for his pursuit, for his will was stripped from him by the man that God sent to him. And David's response was a meek response. He immediately repented. He allowed Nathan to correct him. He adopted Nathan's way and Nathan's perspective of seeing what he had done, even though David was the king. There was swift. He was willing to change. He was willing to recognize something needed to change. Now, when I look at David's predecessor, Saul, we see something different. 1 Samuel 13, we see 
Saul and the people they're gathering, they want to make offerings to the Lord, but that is the prophet's job, and Samuel is delayed. And so Saul decides, well, Samuel isn't here, I'll make the offerings. And he reasoned and he justified that it was right for him to do so, and he just went ahead and did it. Again, in 1 Samuel 15, it's where Samuel spares King Agag. God sends he says to Saul, I want you to take out the Amalekites, kill everything, man, woman, child, beast, you name it. Take, kill it all. Uh, utterly destroy their entire kingdom. But he didn't. He killed everything except the king. And he justified his idea and he, and, and, and he justified what he was doing above the instruction of God. Now, in both cases, the prophet Samuel comes to him and he comes to correct Saul. But here's the difference. Saul's heart remains unchanged. He's okay with acknowledging that he did wrong. Uh, you know, especially the second one, after many excuses, he first said, yeah, well, I did, we did utterly destroy them. We killed everything except the king. And then he says, yeah, but the people, it was for the people and the people wanted, and he justifies it and eventually he owns up to it. Uh, but his heart remains unchanged. There's actually no meekness in him to change the way he's seeing. He's just acknowledging what he did. And although Saul started as a humble man, Along the way, he became puffed up in maintaining his own reputation as a king. And he remained intent on doing what was in his heart to do, despite the ministry and the word of the prophet. And it was his ruin. It can, it, it's what ruined him and his, his ministry and his, and his kingdom. He became proud. And folks, pride, the, the spirit of self-determination, the spirit of thinking we know best, is the antithesis of the spirit of meekness. 1 Samuel ends this way, chapter 15, with 1 Samuel 15 ends this way. Samuel went no more to see Saul until the day of his death. Nevertheless, Samuel mourned for Saul, and the Lord regretted that he made Saul king over Israel. What a sad, sad scripture. So what ended up, what ended up happening? When the spirit of meekness to the, to the messenger or the person that God had sent to Saul, when the spirit of meekness had departed, so did the influence. So did the counsel. And who suffered? Samuel suffered. Sorry, not Samuel. Samuel mourned. Saul suffered. And the whole kingdom suffered. And these are sad words. But the truth is, folks, this is exactly what God does with us. And I've seen it with my own eyes in ministry time and time again. We're pastors, we're spiritual fathers or spiritual mothers. You know, they can't force the will of God on you. They can't force godly wisdom and counsel on us. But without meekness, people will do what is in their hearts to do. And the hardest part of, of ministry is having to watch and wait for their decisions to unfold. And yet still be there and be willing to pick up the pieces. The one of one of the attributes that amazes me as I think about my journey with Pastor Andreas is having seen the betrayal that he has gone through, having seen people who he's really poured his life into years and years and years turn around and throw slings and arrows, but yet maintain an open heart. It's like Jesus ministering to Judas when he knew exactly what was in his heart to do. That is the heart of a true father. Um, and I'm very grateful for it. it. It is not an easy thing to do. 
Like, like with Saul, I've seen many people come and go whose hearts and minds are still so wrapped up in their own perceptions, in their own opinions, that they are like sheep who refuse to be led. They simply will not follow. And I want to close out with a couple of scriptures. First one is from Proverbs 21, verse 2. It says, Every way of man is right in his own eyes, but it's the Lord who weighs the hearts. You see, when our, our hearts have lost the desire to be corrected, we become stuck. And the challenge that we so often have is we, don't, we often don't like the instrument of correction. We don't mind taking correction from the Lord, but we just don't like it when it comes through other people. That is God's instrument very often, and that is God's way. Here's the final one from the Passion Translation, Proverbs 12, 15. A fool is in love with his own opinion, but wisdom means being teachable. So, folks, what I want, I'm sharing these things with you. And I share so in the knowledge that most of you listening to me today have a spiritual father or a spiritual mentor or a spiritual mother in your life already. You've, you've been part of this ministry for any length of time. You will have identified those relationships. Many of you, it's Pastor Andres. In fact, for the majority of you, it will be Pastor Andres. For some of you, it will be Hayden and Elaine and the role that they play as elders and as father and mother of the Somerset West House Church. Uh, maybe there's some of you who haven't, haven't had that aha moment yet, who haven't identified this is the man or the woman that God has sent me to, to disciple me, to speak into my life, to correct me, to shape my lens and my, my, my perception. And, and for, if that's the case, I want to say to you, Seek the Lord about that, because this kind of relationship requires the measure of trust that can only come from the Lord. It can only come from him. If it's just our good idea, if it's just something we think, uh, it's, it can very likely end in tears. But here's the other thing I want to say to you. One, the example that I gave you tonight is evidence that no matter how, I mean, my, my relationship with Pastor Andreas has gone back many years. There are still times when pride enters our heart. There are still times where we think we've got it. There are still times when, oh, I've done this before. I know this road. And our, our thinking like that closes us off to new things, new correction, to refinement that the Lord wants to bring into our lives. If we really want to grow spiritually this year, and if we're serious about that, I want to encourage you. To search your heart considering this aspect of meekness. Because without it, there can be no spiritual growth. Without being willing to change, without being willing to be challenged and wrestle with things in honesty and sincerity. Without being, without being willing to weigh the advice and the counsel on heavily of those that we know God has sent to us. We will stay where we are with our current paradigm, with our current mindset. Hearing what we've always heard, doing what we've always done. We need new wineskins. Only new wineskins can hold new wine. We want more of the Lord. Oh, I want more grace. I need more, I need more of the power of God. I want to see the Spirit working in my life. Praise God. That's called new wine. And new wine needs a new wineskin. You need somebody who's willing to be there with you and to take the oil and to rub it into the wineskin of your heart. It's uncomfortable. It's awkward because you will be challenged. But it's in that process that growth takes place. 
And so I want to ask you to bow your head as I just pray with you now. Father, I want to thank you, Lord God, that as we sit here today, my Lord, we know that you have given us your word. You have given us your Holy Spirit, but you have also given us those who are people with flesh and blood to help us make to, to help us take those and to work those out in our lives. People that have gone before us, people who have a testimony of walking the journey of faith and fighting the good fight of faith. People that, Father God, have a testimony of faithfulness. But, Father God, most of all, people who you have sent and within whom you have placed a love and a sincere care for each one of us. And I want to thank you for these individuals today. I want to thank you, Lord God, for spiritual mentors, for pastors, for spiritual mothers and fathers who love you. And because they are filled with your love, Father God, they love us with the love of the Lord. They seek and desire what is best for us. Father, I realize that very often there are things that we can't see in our own hearts, in our own estimation and in our own understanding. But I want to pray, Lord God, today that you would give us a spirit of meekness that we would be willing to be taught, that we would desire knowledge and understanding, that we would desire to be corrected and have our perspectives shifted and changed according to your word. Lord, I want to thank you for those you have placed in our lives who carry what it is that we need, ways of thinking and seeing things that we have yet to understand or embrace. And I want to pray, Lord God, that this would be a year where a spirit of meekness really grips our hearts and opens our hearts that we may receive all that you have for us lord i want to thank you for those you've sent to rub oil into the wineskins of our hearts i want to pray lord god that you would make us ready vessels of honor vessels that can contain the new wine and the new spirit that you the fresh the fresh outpouring of spirit lord god that you desire to impart to us for the time that we are in for the grace and the season that we are in lord god that we may cooperate with you, that we may grow, that our growth may be evident, that our fruit will be evident to all. And so, Lord, we value these people. We ask you, Father God, to help us maintain hearts that are open, yielded, willing, and ready to hear, to learn, and to grow as they pour into us, my Father God. May we be like sponges. May we absorb, Father God, the wisdom they impart to us. May we apply it and walk in it, that we may eat the fruit of it, that we may prove for ourselves the good and perfect and acceptable will of God. So that is my prayer today, Father God, for every single one. And I bless you and I commit each one to your Holy Spirit and to the ministry of your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this message. For additional resources or more information about this ministry, come and visit us at alphaomegaint.org.za.